Uh, This morning, our text is Mark chapter 1. And uh, you're going to want to have the Bible open on the Pew Bible. It's found on page 991, Mark chapter 1. You've heard this saying maybe a thousand times. There's a thousand ways to... There's a thousand ways to... Skin a cat, right. Yeah, has anyone ever done that? (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't even know what one of those ways is. I don't know why you would want to know one of those ways. Well, this morning, let me remind you that uh, there are a thousand ways to do this strange art, this strange work, this strange ministry labor called preaching. There are a thousand ways, assuming... There's only one way, of course, and that is built upon, founded, anchored in God's Word. But going from there, there are many ways to preach God's Word. And it's almost another analogy that I've made, and and it's, you know, maybe it's not sufficient, but how do you go about working on a puzzle, right? Where do you start? Where do you start with a puzzle? Where do you start? What pieces yeah, the, the frame, so many. I mean, that's kind of doing the pattern, right? We've, we've discovered over time that one of the best ways to approach this is to employ those outer pieces. You get a frame, you get a, you know, a rough idea, and then you can kind of fill it all in. Well, we've discovered over the years and through the wisdom of the church down through the ages that one of the best ways to preach God's word is not only to be anchored here, but even systematically to preach through books of the Bible, And uh, your church and ours as well has seen that to be the best approach, not the only, but the fitting way. And when we do that, our desire, even as we sang that prayer, is to see Jesus. Because what do you do when you get a puzzle and you do piece it together over time? You begin to see a portrait. Maybe it's a great scene or it's a magnificent uh, painting of some sort. And you look and you say, wow, and who gets the praise? Who gets the honor? What do we see conveyed there except uh, the great artist who put it all there? And we are just piecing it together, and it's Jesus. And another reason we do it is because it keeps the preacher honest, because as much as we'd like to hit on topics that are near and dear to us, or we think you want to hear, or we're really you know, keen on, we believe that God has something for us, and the original authors that composed these Uh, These books and these epistles and letters uh, in different forms of literature in the Bible have an intended purpose, and we can stay closer to that as we stay closer to the text. So let's look at God's Word together. Mark, that's where I'm at right now. We're preaching through uh, the book of Mark, and I began last week in chapter 1, and I'm going to focus here for you all this morning in the latter portion of this chapter. We're going to begin in verse 29 of Mark 1. Hear this, this is the word of God. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. 
where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is God's word. Briefly, let me pray again for us. Lord, you know our hearts. You know every heart in this room. You know the struggles, you know the pain, the temptation, the temptations, the places of apathy. And we know we need clarity. We need wisdom. So would you please right now have your kingdom come and your will be done for Christ's sake. Amen. Excuse me. I have a friend named Kim. And she's a fashion stylist. And one day I was asking about her job. You see, what she does is she goes on set. And she was kind of unpacking what a typical day looks like when she outfits a a group of people. Maybe they're doing some kind of shoot for an advertisement. Or maybe it's some other uh, theme or scene that she's trying to construct there. uh, They're dressed and they're all situated and everything. And I was kind of fascinated. I asked some more questions. And she says, yeah, but you know what? The real artists are the food stylist. I said, what, Kim? She said, yeah, the food stylist. I said, what on earth is a food stylist? Well, she said, well, you know, I mean, in in advertisements and on, you know, and in various scenes, there has to be food set up. And so there are people that come and try to construct a scene and, 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 and portray something, a, a particular look. Maybe it's a close-up shop or maybe it's just a group of people who are standing around eating. And she said, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, some of the things that I've seen them do as stylists of the food, it's just remarkable. I said, well, yeah, give me an example, Kim. And she said, well, for instance, ice cream, as you well know, it doesn't stay, uh, you know, it starts to melt. She said, so you know what they do? They actually use mashed potatoes. Never knew that. That's how they construct it there. She said, oh, yeah, you know, another example is Coke. Because with cola, if you take a picture of it, it looks a lot darker if you use the original. So they actually water it down. You significantly water it down so it doesn't look, so it actually looks like it is in real life. And then they have to walk around with the spritzer all the time to make it look like on the outside it's cold. Now, we all know that sometimes food artists or stylists are so good they can kind of damage our expectations. Because let's, let's be frank, and I won't mention any names, but we've all been to restaurants where the menus are huge. They've, they're so big, you can't even hardly sit down at the table and, and you open it up and there are these pictures. Wow, I want one of those. And then it comes and the waiter or the waitress arrives and you go, good night. I don't think this is the same thing. And we're disappointed. Well, I only highlight that to say that John Mark, who composes this book, is not a stylist. He's he's not a stylist or an artist at all. uh, But that's not to say that he is merely a historian or a biographer. You see, inspired of God, John Mark is composing something so that we would see and appreciate and draw our attention to something. But as he presents to us Jesus, the identity, the person and the work of Jesus, we are not, my friends, if we are, if we are honest, 
We are not disappointed. We are in no way, we in no way have our, because he is true to all those things. He is true to his compassion. He is true to his very power and his wisdom. He is true to his promises. We are not disappointed with Jesus. But maybe that's where I want to start. It's just that question. What do you expect from Jesus? What do you expect of Jesus? What do you, maybe another way to phrase it is, what do you want from Jesus? What do you want from him? You know, preachers, by the way, they can be bad artists. (laughs) Because as true as we see that picture conveyed in Scripture, there are times when we can paint Jesus a particular way that's not true. We can water him down. We can try to make him, you know, more palatable to the interest or the desires or the culture. Maybe try to make Jesus look a little more fashionable than he is in reality and in history in the text. But I hope that we can remain close here this morning. Now, I think that in this passage, just in these verses here from 29 to 39, that there are three vignettes. Uh, just briefly, there, there's Jesus in Galilee in the home and just outside of that with the people and the crowds. And then the next scene, the, the next one there, is when he ventures out, as you can see, into isolation into the, the, uh, the outer parts of the town. And then it picks up again in verse 36 with this conversation. Uh, with his disciples. So if you're taking notes, the way you could break it down is this, a demonstration, isol- or seclusion or isolation, and then lastly, explanation. So demonstration, Jesus just earlier prior to this has been conveying a message in verse 15, and it's very simple. The opening words of his public ministry are this, repent and believe the gospel. Why? Because he says the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God is at hand. But an announcement like that has to be, if it's true, it needs to be accompanied with action. And so the kingdom here, he's coming in and he's he's ushering in his rule and reign as king. And that's beginning, that's, that's being inaugurated, if you will, with his presence and his opening message. But his authority is evident Also, it's demonstrated on display because of what he does. His kingdom is at hand, not just in in words, but in actions. Now, it was in words, though. Don't get me wrong, because earlier in verse 22 of Mark 1, it makes very clear that when Jesus taught, he spoke. they They were in awe. They were astounded because he spoke. Verse 22 says, as one with authority, unlike others. But then he goes further to demonstrate that power and authority over something. Over sickness and over evil. That, that, that means that the kingdom is, is, is coming in. And then in verse 30, what do we see? When he goes into the house of Simon Peter, uh, his mother-in-law's there, and, uh, and she's ill. But then just with, with Christ's touch, Jesus heals her. The fever is gone, and she's, she's revived. And that's good news for everybody, because she's going to host, and she's going to fix a meal. It's a good thing. We've seen it, right? You're, 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 you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're laid aside, and you're discouraged, and you're, you're, you're exhausted. The fever has struck you with kids, you know. I mean, you give them a little bit of Motrin, and they just bounce back. It's, it's kind of amazing at times, until the fever returns. 
But here she is, and she, it, it's, a, it's an interesting, just as a side note, that she would, immediately having been touched and healed by Jesus, would then go to, to serve him. And isn't that the case? If, you, if, if at times and turns you have been ministered to by Jesus, there is a desire naturally that it comes forth organically that we would want to go and serve him and to serve people made in his image. And that's what she does. Uh, but then word begins to spread rather quickly in the town, and uh, people are, are discovering that, uh, that Jesus and his power is, is healing, and he is doing great things. And uh, Galilee wasn't a small town, so it's pretty amazing that the whole of them ended up showing up there in verse uh, 31 after, well, excuse me, uh, looking down at verse 32 and Thirty-three. when people just, as the sun set, because it was the close of the Sabbath, people could begin to travel. Word had gotten out. Now they're coming and flocking there to the door. Galilee's a big town. I mean, archaeology confirms this. History does. There was, you know, a, a thriving town of merchants and fishermen, and there was a, a, a large group of soldiers from the Roman army that were situated there. And they're coming. They're bringing their sick. And what does it say? Jesus heals. He's demonstrating his kingship. How? He's demonstrating it over the physical world by bringing healing, but even over the spiritual realm by casting out demons. Just with the power of his word, he silences his enemies. His enemies, even as he just speaks, obey him. Your dog doesn't even obey that well. Mine definitely doesn't. That hyper Boston Terrier. But then in verse 34, what happens next? He silences those demons because they know full well his identity. Doesn't mean that they bow the knee to him, of course. They can confess him as the, the Christ, the anointed. They know that. But it doesn't mean that they surrender and follow him. And he doesn't want them to go and do anything else publicly or subversively otherwise, because there's still a conflict that is rising that is not yet to be in focus. There's still, Jesus still has ministry to be done before he is pushed, so, it, uh, so to speak, into the city to be crucified and tried. There's a great deal to be done, and there will be, as we see, as anyone reading Mark will uh, discover. But it's not, of course, when he does, even with the swell of that interest uh, that is there, he, he, he has in view the cross, and he's pressing forward. And, and it's not the completion or the consummation of the kingdom, it is the inauguration of the kingdom. Because even the people that, rem- not, not that I needed to remind you, but even the people that Jesus healed went on to get sick again and die. You think about that, you know? I don't know. I, well, maybe that's because part of it is merely that. It is a demonstration of something that is to come. That Jesus has, in, in, in inaugurating his kingdom, giving us a glimpse of what is yet to come at the consummation when he returns, and he truly will cast out all evil and judge the world in righteousness, and people will be healed once and for all physically. Consider that. It's why we even sang last month. I'm sure you did. We did. 
You've probably heard it, chiming, maybe even in a department store. Joy to the world. My favorite verse there is he comes to make his blessings known. What? Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Well, that's good news. But that's part of the not yet of the kingdom. And he is, and that's why we confess that Christ came. Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. To bring the fullness of that. A week or so ago, I met a, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Jackson. We both were waiting on something, and we struck up a conversation. Mr. Jackson's like 86, I think I remember. He's an African-American. He's lived for many, many years here on the South Shore. He lived for a time in the city. And this guy is full of stories, as you can imagine. And he is more than willing to tell you his stories. And I'm listening to these stories, and they were, they were remarkable and fascinating. And he was describing what it was like to have five siblings growing up in the city, and his mother died, and he lived during the time prior to, uh, you know, desegregation. And he, he, he could testify to all kinds of things that had took place, marvelous things, but tragic things. He had stories of, of ailments that he had, uh, in, you know, encountered physically, and opposition, and disappointment, uh, in his family and, and uh, in racism in his life. And he was a, he was, he was a proverbial grumpy old man. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, but, you know, he, he was a, you know, it's almost warranted some of, you know, his posture. He was a bit jaded. But, but then he also had a mature perspective, I must admit, because he went on to say, yeah, but you know what? The world's always been this way. And I looked at him and I said, well, tell me more of what you mean. He said, well, if it wasn't prior to the America as we know it, there was racism and cruelty and hatred with the Native Americans. And prior to that, and this culture and that culture, and people have always been this way. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm really tired of people saying peace on earth, goodwill towards men. There's never been peace on earth. At this point, he doesn't know I'm a preacher. And he doesn't know that I love evangelism. And I love talking about Jesus. And that's when I looked at him and I said, you might be surprised, but I completely agree with you. But let me ask you, Mr. Jackson, what do you think God thinks about that? And he looked at me and he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, do you believe that God can fix that problem? I don't think so, he said. And he went off and changed the subject. I kept bringing it back. And I said, I'll tell you this. He said, you know, you can't change people. You just can't change people. I said, again, I agree with you. And one of the reasons that I know that, Mr. Jackson, is I look at myself in the mirror. And, and, and I have a hard time. Cha- I have pride and selfishness and prejudice in me. But I want to just testify that Jesus has started to bring change. I've seen the king and he has forgiven me. And let me tell you about him. 
I invited him to come over to dinner and tell me and my family some more stories. You can pray. He'll take me up on the invitation. So there's this demonstration. Let's move on. What do we see here next in verse 35 with Jesus? Well, we see his humanity. Because it it doesn't need to be illustrated, but it is. The Gospels record that Jesus gets tired. He gets weary. He gets hungry. He gets thirsty. He is emotionally spent. And Jesus retreats. He heads out early in the morning to withdraw from all these people. He's ministered the, the night previous to thousands and done miraculous things. But now he wants to retreat. And this is where he goes, to the Father. And what does he say to the Father? We don't know. We don't know. We've seen elsewhere. Uh, we can read of his prayers to the Father and how he petitions uh, his Father for others. We don't know what he prays here. But we have no doubt that this is a source of strength and power for him to, to pull back and to seek to commune in fellowship with the Father. Here it is. His humanity is on display. It reveals not only that his heart for him to do this, and his desire to commune, and the source of his strength, but even part of his priority. Because even with all the demands, even with all the, the, the pressure, he still seeks to find himself alone in prayer. Man. If this isn't a rebuke to me, I don't know what else is. If Jesus, under all of these circumstances, needs to slow down and pray, then I need to do the same. I know I do. I've been trying to just spend less time with noise and distraction. This new year, I, I'm, I'm turning off the radio in my car. I, I'm trying to just spend some time in quiet before the Lord. Paul Miller writes a book called A Praying Life. And I'll tell you, I'm about to tell you what the subtitle, some of you have read it, some of you have studied it here, I know. But I'm about to tell you what the subtitle of the book is, and you're going to want to get it. Go ahead. Hit that Amazon app. You've got permission? Go ahead. Here it is. Paul Miller, A Praying Life, subtitled, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. All right, now don't stay on that app because you're going to be distracted with other things on your phone. But here's what his quote is. Are you ready? This is what he says about prayer. This has ministered to me so well. Prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life and God meet. In in other words, he's saying it doesn't doesn't have to be uh, verbose and well-orchestrated and perfectly timed and all this other stuff. He's saying it's just like a conversation with a trusted friend or a loved one. But this is what he says about prayer. Learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart in the midst of our outer busyness. That's where Jesus is, right here. Opening of his ministry. It's one of his priorities. It's one of his patterns. We can't deny it. So much more could be said just about verse 35, but let's move on. Because next is this other vignette, this this conversation that really forms an explanation. Because in verse 37, What happens is, in 36 and 37, Simon, Peter, and the others come to him and they say, Jesus, we've been looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. 
let me translate what the urgency was there. Hey, Jesus, um, last night was an awesome show. And the folks, I mean, we are ripe. We've got to get back into the town. I mean, the folks want an encore performance. This is, this is the time. We've got to strike while it's hot. You've got to do some more healing. People are gathered. Let's get this kingship on the road. But Jesus, I suspect, knows that they want, well, they want more of his authority and his power. But we can wonder if it is his identity and his person that they really want to know more of. You know, there's been a number of Bible teachers that have looked at this opening portion here in the ministry of Jesus, and they have drawn the similarity and the comparison to John chapter 6. And I think it's a fitting one. Because John chapter 6, in a similar fashion, just as there is with a miraculous sign and then this retreat, what do we find in, in John chapter 6? Well, it's, it's the feeding of the 5,000. And what does Jesus do? After he feeds the 5,000, he and the disciples find themselves in the boat. They travel across the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. They retreat. They, they withdraw from the people. Now, the people catch up, and they go, and they seek to find him on the other side of the shore. They, they come to him, and they, they, they want to know more. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus wanted to feed them. It was his compassion that, uh, that fueled him. But as they catch up with him, we get a little bit more in focus here about what it is that Jesus is doing in the miraculous and what Jesus is proclaiming in his ministry. Because in John chapter 6, we read this in response to the people who are like, hey, can we get some more of this? (laughs) We're, We're ready. And he says to them, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, Jesus is saying, you, you may have seen this, the sign, but you didn't see the point of that sign. And a few verses later, he helps make that connection in verse 35 of John 6. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Back to my original question, back to our world here, what do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? I think this, is, this may be one of those dangerous realms, if we're honest, where some of the selfish, there's a convergence between the selfishness of our hearts and the idolatries of our affluent Western culture when they converge. And as one pastor put it so well, it's only in modern America that people can conceive of God like he is some type of cosmic pinata in the sky that we just take and just beat on until the blessings and the, tre- the treats just flow down. Another metaphor, maybe. Do you want Jesus to be a vending machine? No, 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 no one would ever say that, but, 
But what is our posture? What is our mentality? And how do we think and approach and feel surrounding Is Jesus something that we want? You know, he, it would be, it'd be great if it was just conveniently located. And then I could just select those things, those, those favors, those blessings, that prosperity, that peace of mind, that security. We, safety is so important. Jesus, keep me safe. Jesus, I, I just want my kids to be fill in the blank. Jesus, I, I just need this. Could you please bring me positive outcomes? Jesus, is it too much to... Can, I'm just going to push on this right here, hoping a little bit of happiness will flow down right now. We don't talk that way. But I wonder. But with Jesus, what do we have? We have so much more. Because don't get me wrong, in all of his sovereign goodness, he is able to demonstrate provision and kindness, mercy in our life beyond, beyond our imagination. And many of you could testify to that in your own story in life. But he also demonstrates authority, and he also wants us to see him. Not the things that he brings and gives, but, but him. That we might surrender our lives to him. That we wouldn't view Jesus as a vehicle to get what we want or get where we want, but Jesus for Jesus. When I, I, look, some of you may say, look, I don't want anything from Jesus. I'm, let's, let's have an honest moment right now. I don't, there's not really much I want from Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty low maintenance. Look at me. Or, or as if to say, you're self-sufficient. And you may feel that way for now, for this season. Or you might even say, you know what? I, I'm not going there. I don't need to, I, I'm just going to, as it pertains to the whole, the whole Jesus and his identity and all that, I'm just going to abstain from that vote. But, but if you abstain, well, that's a decision too. If you're not ready to grapple with who he is and what he calls us to, don't think that you are truly abstaining from a decision. That is a decision. Jesus comes, and let me tell you, if we had been there, if we had been there, you may, you may have rejected Jesus, many did, even in, the, even in the face of the miraculous. Or you may have entirely misunderstood him. Or we may have with joy and faith embraced him, but I can guarantee this, none of us would have been indifferent or apathetic. And I want to just, I want us just to see, if we were to put it under two, two titles here for Jesus, two, two banners, if you will, Jesus comes as a king, and he wants something, and he provides something. Jesus wants something, and Jesus provides something. He wants our allegiances. He wants our affections. He wants your assets. What's another A word? He wants your attitudes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
You better bet. And that's why we call him Lord and King. But you know what else Jesus does? Oh, he also wants something else, by the way. He wants your brokenness. And he wants your sin. He wants it all. And then he provides. He provides for us forgiveness and righteousness. He provides for you and I a substitute. And that's why we call him Savior. Redeemer. And that's why we call his message gospel because it is good news. He calls it that too. And Jesus describes to his disciples here in this closing verse here, part of his purpose and priority. Yep, verse 38. What does he say there in in closing? Let us go somewhere to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. Oh, absolutely. I've come to demonstrate my power and to show mercy and compassion. And I've, I've, I've come to show justice for the oppressed and the marginalized and healing for the sick and the blind and the weak. And, but, but let me be clear that the priority is that they wouldn't just have those physical needs met, but also this, the deeper spiritual needs. And I'm going to proclaim a gospel message of good news Again and again, and that's what he does. It's, I mean, you think about, for all that Jesus does, and we, we seek just the same, and Christ's church is called to just the same, ministry of word and deed. Jesus, however, be mindful all throughout as he goes. He doesn't go touching people person to person as healing. He goes from town to town preaching. Because of the primacy and the importance and the priority on the gospel message. And the gospel message, again, just earlier prior to this, he spells it out very clearly. Verse 15, repent and believe the gospel. The invitation, verse 17, is come and follow me. Doesn't sound like a vending machine, does it? Doesn't sound like a pinata. And that's not why we go and pray like Jesus did. Where's the blessings? Where are the blessings? We fellowship with him. We commune with him. We trust him. Jesus keeps pressing after he goes town to town to town. And he is marching his way to Jerusalem. To the cross. And it's there that he conquers sin. And it's there that he conquers death. And the resurrection. Let me close with this passage in Colossians where in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, And you who were dead in your trespasses, God, he goes on to say, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Get that image. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In Christ, he's cast aside evil. But that's only begun. And it's not yet fully, it's not in its completion. And we're we're in the middle. Jesus is king. But his kingdom has not come in its fullness yet. So we're living in tension 
But what do you expect from Jesus? What do you want from him? How do you view him? Keep coming back to that question. Because it won't be that you're apathetic. It can't be long term that you are holding him at distance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're grateful that your love uh, is evidenced time and time again for people, for us and our foolishness and our blindness uh, and our false understanding of who you are. Thank you that your love prevails and pre- as a pervasive way of reaching to our hearts. Would you aid us even now to patiently ponder, to, to faithfully trust and to investigate and look more and more at your Son, our Lord Jesus, that we might have a repentance in view because of your redeeming love. And we would be a people who want to have that same sense of urgency in sharing about this Jesus who is both our Lord and our Savior. Lord, I pray for these people, many of whom I know and care a great deal about. And I pray even now that you would bless them. Bless the ministry, Lord, of South Shore Baptist. Thank you. Would you multiply that? Would you only grow and expand that? And I pray for Cody and his family as they come, that you would fill them uh, with great peace and joy, strength in the transition, that you would be lifted up, Jesus, that even as people are enthusiastic about hearing from a new preacher, who I'm glad to say faithfully exposits God's word book to book, but may our eyes be fixed on Jesus. May these people's hearts and minds be fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at your right hand. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who lives even now to intercede for us. For it's in his name that we ask. Amen.